2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network.
0: Available now from Dread. Val. Finn, a wanted criminal, hides out with an escort named Val, a demon. Val offers to make his problems disappear if he follows her rules. She has been expecting him all along, and it won't be easy to escape Val's dungeon. Val is out now everywhere you buy or rent movies, and on Blu-ray November 2nd.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the fifth installment of our Halloween is Cancelled Limited Audio Series. So, this is our mini series where we're tackling five or so cancelled Halloween sequels to get into the spirit. And today we are on number five. We're tackling Halloween Bad Blood. That's Josh Stolberg's Halloween. Bad Blood. We have a very special returning guest star today. Welcome back, Jinx. How's it going? Hey, thank you so much for having me back. I
1: really appreciate it. Now, I just wanted to ask right up top, is this going to be the last installment of Halloween is canceled for the season?
2: This is such, this is breaking news, breaking news. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I want to keep it going till at least Halloween. I have a bonus episode banked. I'm just going to say it. It's a cute little Halloween Kills episode review with my friend Jules. Nice. But we may get another episode squeezed in. We'll see. Who knows how the cookie crumbles? Not me. But <laughs> this may be the season finale, though. So everyone needs to prepare themselves just in case.
1: Well, I just wanted to brace myself. I didn't know if uh, if I was going to be the guest that was seeing out this series. I'm already a little nervous that I'm following up uh, uh, Dunstan and Melton, which was a great episode, by the way. But I mean, how do I follow <laughs> that act? I could lead in... To Dunstan and Melton just fine like that's okay but now I'm following them up too like that's that's a little bit of pressure Josh oh,
2: it's, a, it's a totally different kettle of fish you know like they it was um, a circus and a fun one but you and I <laughs> we're like you know we're the seminar we're the we're the University of Development Hall it's a totally different thing
1: <laughs> I, I i don't know that i i should ever be put in charge of teaching anyone anything but um but yeah no i uh i i'm more the guy that hangs out at the university and just likes to chat movies with people once they're done no with class. way
2: jinx you're a prof you're a prof energy you may not know it but i i believe it fully and i feel like i am too i'm like i'm like the college prof and you're like the university prof and and one is not worse than the other you know what i mean like Two different worlds.
1: You know, I've got a beard. I think I have a corduroy coat somewhere. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do.
2: I love it. uh, The Department of Development Health. As I mentioned, today we are on Halloween Bad Blood. So Bad Blood is a Jamie Lloyd sequel that never got made Based on a treatment, if I'm not mistaken, by Josh Stolberg. I was wondering, you brought this one to the table. Why does this installment interest you? Why did you pick this topic?
1: Yeah, so it and I just want to shout out too. It is uh, it is written by Josh Stolberg and Bobby Florsheim. So I just wanted to oh. uh to shout Mr. Florsheim out because he did have a hand in co-writing it. He uh I was lucky enough to interview Mr. Stolberg, but um I didn't get the chance to interview Mr. Florsheim. But when you'd reached out to me to come back on, uh you had mentioned uh, you know a couple of potentials and <laughs> It's funny. I, I would have been fine with any of them, but one of them that you had picked, I believe, was Halloween Asylum, which Mr. Stahlberg had actually he had tackled one of the drafts on that. So mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, yeah, we could talk about that, but. I did interview the man, and I know this much more. And there's a lot of like, you know, I have I you the entire the, scoop? I,
2: baby, You do, early. let's was, just be honest.
1: <laughs> I was <laughs> able to read the the treatments for both. And of course I interviewed <laughs> Mr. Stolberg, who who's a great guy. And uh, and not only that, but I mean I just, you know, I, I I gotta be honest with you. We touched on this on our previous chat, but I I love Jamie Lloyd and <laughs> the mm-hmm. idea of getting a Jamie Lloyd sequel. Uh, you know, it, it, it pisses me off that we didn't, say, have Twitter, really, any sort of social media background the late 90s. Otherwise, I would have been the first guy trying to push a uh, hashtag justice for Jamie. You know, like it's... It's uh, not too
2: late. It, I don't you have a sneaking feeling she might show up in Halloween ends? No. No. No, yeah, I do not, right at, not. Not at all. As I said it out loud, it felt wrong. It felt wrong. <laughs> I wish, though. I would love to see Jamie, and I think the appetite... And nostalgia is there in a way that it wouldn't have been, I think, pre-Halloween 2018. Now we, like, want to see all these people come back. We we are starting to celebrate the canon in the way that that reboot wasn't doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would love that. I We have all these... It, it's been joked about before that Halloween is sort of becoming a choose-your-own-adventure kind of uh, set oh, okay. of continuities, you know? And it's... Uh, I would like to think that we could dive back into older continuities perhaps in the future, but honestly, I I don't think that's in the cards. I think Malakakad is all about looking toward the future and not Mm -hmm. necessarily going back. So I can't imagine we're going to be able to dive back into the Thorn storyline ever again, (laughs) but... uh,
2: I which mean, is a shame
1: because it, it you know i'm i'm a sucker for all of that stuff who i knows
2: what hbo max is gonna produce in 10 years from now we don't know we don't uh, know, you know what they're capable of that would actually honestly be the best route for something like halloween <laughs> yeah, in totally. that regard
1: like you know what if you want to keep halloween a big theatrical franchise go ahead and do that but you yep. know what give us take you know it used to drive me nuts that DC was not following the Marvel playbook, at least as far as their shared cinematic universe, you know, that sort of, uh, you know, th- that structure that Marvel so perfectly nailed, DC is just kind of more, uh, eh, whatever, you know? But mm-hmm. now I've kind of come to appreciate it that they, they're they not so beholden to continuity as, hey, what would fans really like to see? Or, hey, what would this amazing filmmaker do with a character like this? OK, no Joker won't fit into the DCEU, but, you know, it might win Joaquin Phoenix an Oscar. It might earn us a billion dollars. So why mm-hmm. the hell don't we do it? You know, mm-hmm. I wish that Malachi Khan could do something similar like that with uh, Halloween. I, I I wish he would keep, you know, the, the the theatrical films going. But, you know, maybe give me an HBO Max mm-hmm. Thorne miniseries. Maybe oh, I give wish. me uh, yes. Halloween 3D on TV. Maybe. Listen,
2: even if it doesn't happen, the the Jinx curated uh, graphic novels will. You know, so <laughs> we're gonna get these at some point or another. Um. So yeah, we talked about this previously. You just kind of mentioned it, but I was wondering what. How do we feel about both Danielle Harris and Jamie Lloyd? We talked about it in the past, but I want to talk about it again. What was your like first introduction with Jamie Lloyd, the character? so the the first
1: halloween movie that i ever saw was halloween five and it was on television i was a kid i was maybe like nine or ten at the time and my brother who was about six years older than me he was uh responsible for terrorizing me with horror movies back when i was a kid he would uh he knew I hated horror movies as a kid. I was terrified of being terrified as mm-hmm. it were. And so uh, and he delighted in scaring me with uh, all manner of movies. You know, he would uh, call me into the room during Friday the 13th and tell me to watch it with him. And, but I could hold a pillow and cover my eyes with it during the scary parts. And inevitably, when a scary part would come up, I would hold the pillow up. He would yank the pillow away. So I would see <laughs> Jason Voorhees hacking up some poor, unsuspecting teenager. Mm-hmm. Um
2: this so, is an education
1: yeah, absolutely well you know what i wound up becoming a huge horror fan so he did something right yeah but uh, no <laughs> he he was uh, i remember he and a friend to come over and they were watching halloween five and there was something about seeing a child as a protagonist being nine or ten myself at the time and even though it was a scary movie and even though michael myers fucking terrified me the first time i ever saw him having a child as the lead of the movie, I, I couldn't look away. Like, I, I sort of sat down and, you know, I didn't need the pillow. I didn't need to be pranked or cajoled mm-hmm. into continuing to watch the movie. I was just, I was wrapped. And, you know, part of this is the fact that, you know, as a kid, I probably had a huge crush on on Daniel Harris. Um, classic, classic. And as a 40-year-old man, I have a huge crush on Daniel Harris. Um, Are you guys around the same age? I don't, I, I would imagine. Well, probably, imagine, sure, yeah. Yeah, she was... What was she? She was like 9 or 10, I think, uh, uh-huh. when she did Halloween 5. So that tracks, I think. Late 80s? Yeah, but you know, not only that, but, and I think this holds true to this day, when you look at Halloween 5, and I eventually backtracked and watched, it's so Green. weird, I watched the Halloween franchise completely out of order. I watched 5, I backtracked and watched 4, and then eventually I got around to watching 1, 2, and then when I got to 3, I was like, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> liked it, just wanted to know where Michael was. You're not but- alone. <laughs> and it got to the point where I was such a fan, and once I really got into horror movies proper, I mean, I would I, I was the guy who would pester my local um you know, video update or movie gallery or movie house to uh just get in all of the movies so I could rent them all and do movie marathons. I remember and I would keep it running, man. I would I would prolong Halloween, not only would I marathon Halloweens 1 through 5 at Halloween, no, I would also rent all five of them a month later and watch them during a long uh, Thanksgiving weekend when I was off from school, just because I do them. But no, the thing that holds true, I think, for Halloween 5 and Halloween 4 is the fact that I think Danielle Harris, regardless of genre, forgetting, forgetting the fact that they're horror movies, I think... As a child actor, she gives one of the best performances in those movies that any child actor ever did, period. Oh, yeah. even,
2: even adult actors in the series, she's up against the best.
1: She outshines them. She holds her own yeah. with Donald friggin' Pleasance. I mean, how oh, amazing yeah. is that? Oh, yeah. And so, uh, no, I, I mean, I adore the character. I think it was such a smart idea to sort of ground the franchise at that point with a child and then – My goodness, the the filmmakers who cast her, like, what a boon for that franchise that they got her, because I think the work (laughs) that she did was just utterly fucking fantastic.
2: Yeah, Halloween 4 was a real swing and uh, not a mess, but a hit. Is a swing and a hit a saying? Because that's what it was. Yeah, swing and a connect, swing and a home run, I think. Swing and a home run. So I have a question for you, which is, okay, so you... Who is Josh Stolberg? And who is this other writer? Can you say his name one more time so I
1: remember? It was Bobby Florsheim, I believe. And I hope I am pronouncing it correctly.
2: I remember how it looks on paper and it was uh, a, a question mark to pronounce. So thank you for doing that for me. I know that Josh Stolberg had his hand in writing the Prana 3D remake, sority Row remake, Spiral, Jigsaw, all of these modern horror movies. Um, I was just wondering, how did he like get involved with the halloween franchise to start with
1: so i believe it started out as a pitch he had been writing on sabrina i believe uh back in the 90s the and animated
2: series right or was it also the the live action one
1: i think it was the animated series it's I so don't, cool
2: i don't believe it was live action which is great but uh um, yeah
1: yeah yeah honestly i didn't watch either uh i'll admit it like those had just missed me uh, when I was a teenager, that if anything even remotely smacked of horror, I was going to check it out. But that, you know, Sabrina, the teenage witch, like it just. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, but weirdly, I would yeah. probably, probably, because of, uh, you know, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, the comic book, sadly, I haven't checked out the Netflix series yet. But because I love the comic book so much, I got to admit, I was very close to going ahead and checking out that old 90s show. I never got around to it, but I. Oh, it's, I, it,
2: it's pretty classique. Although, it, yeah, I think if you're not nostalgic for it, it maybe it won't hit in the same way. I agree. No, I get it. But yeah, um Josh Stolberg and Bobby florschheim they
1: were called in to pitch to Mustafa Cod. Um, and they pitched something uh, during our interview, Josh Stolberg called it MVP, Michael versus Pinhead. The treatment that I read good title. Uh, was alternatively called Halloween in Hell. And, also a good uh, title. Yeah, uh, I mean I um I've heard the uh the alternate title for very you know, there have been various like Halloween and Hellraiser pitches, I guess, back in the day, like three <laughs> or four, and one of them was called Halloween, and it's just like not as good, you know. I there, it depends on on what day it is. Like there are times yeah. I hear that title
2: and I'm like, nope, <laughs> and then there are other times and- when I'm like, you know what, I'd watch the hell out of a movie called. Halloween. I know. I, I don't know how because we're about to talk about Halloween in Hell a little bit right now, but I don't know how I've never done an episode on Michael versus Penhead yet. It seems like a obvious choice, and it just hasn't happened.
1: Well, it's a little. It's a little tough to get a beat on probably because not only did you have the Stolberg and Bobby Florsheim uh pitch you also had um oh fucking hell um uh, Dave something I'm <laughs> just i am completely please edit this out because he's the nicest guy and he's a hell of a filmmaker dave
2: parker Parker. thank you i got the first name right good for me yeah he
1: was on my podcast god i suck uh cool it's super nice guy uh like super horror savvy uh great guy to chat with made a couple of great uh horror films he did uh the dead hate the living and if you ever get the chance um he did a warner premiere movie called um uh, the Hills Run Red, written by David Scout, that is. Oh, fucking I've great. seen The
2: Hills Run Red.
1: Uh, amazing, love it, love it. It should have been a franchise. We should have had three or four by now. So, uh, but yeah, David makes up with the
2: houses that October built. But I know I've seen both, and that's what matters.
1: I like that one too. Um, but yeah, he. I think he did Halloween, and then of course there was the the time that they approached Clive Barker, and the idea was to get Barker to write and John Carpenter to direct, and. Oh, what a what a loss that was because even though here's the yeah. thing, I'm not convinced that Halloween and Hellraiser goes together. That is yeah. that is not chocolate and peanut butter to me necessarily. I love both, mm-hmm. but uh I don't I don't know that they belong together, but uh you, you put Barker and Carpenter on the job, I think they would have given us something uh pretty
2: great, but it didn't happen. So Two or maybe it was actually your Phantom limbs article about this item, but I think I read that uh, Halloween and How Hal sort of involved a survivors group of final girls, including uh, Kirsty from Hellraiser and Danielle Harris's character Jamie Lloyd from Halloween as a sort of um, support group for final girls. Yes, which is interesting because that will play a role in the title that we're talking about more specifically today. Halloween, bad blood.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that was, uh, it's funny because uh, Stalberg and Florsheim, they went in to pitch Halloween in hell and uh, apparently it just, it, it didn't go anywhere. And so they, (laughs) no, wow. Yeah. And so they, they kind of took the core idea Uh, That they had with Jamie Lloyd being the protagonist and uh, and they sort of just divorced it from Hellraiser and then they they created Halloween Bad Blood, which we can dive into. But yeah, the I don't know, I I love the (laughs) I really love the idea of a support group filled with survivors of other horror movie franchises, because if I can talk about myself for a moment here. I And this and it is worth noting that this treatment would have been written around, I think he said November of 2000. I don't know if that was Halloween mm-hmm. Hellraiser or if that was Bad Blood. But in any case, this was like 2000 or so. But I was completely unaware, obviously, of, of this treatment. Or I was unaware of anything that just hadn't been made. You know, uh, Halloween at that point was just Halloween H2O to me. In 2004, Fangoria uh, did this... Um, oh, it was kind of a contest called uh, The Blood Drive. They had already put out one DVD compilation. What it was, uh, it was open to all horror filmmakers to make a short horror film and to send it into The Blood Drive. This would have been for The Blood Drive 2. And uh, basically they would get judged. And then if you had a winning entry, it would go onto a DVD compilation that was branded like Fangoria. And they did two of them, right? Mm -hmm. I entered in a short film that I shot uh for The Blood Drive 2, and it was called Support, and it revolved around a support group for victims of movie franchise serial killers. Wow. Well, so we 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 started with a young woman who was attacked by essentially a Jollo killer in a black leather coat, black gloves, black hat, uh who, who nearly kills her. Uh she she lives. She winds up uh, going to a support group for people similarly like her and each of them is like, you know, we had basically riffs on Marion from Psycho, Sally from Texas Chainsaw, um, we, we had a guy with four long claw marks down his face who was a, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, an unapologetic, just coffee drinker, as it were, just constantly uh, okay. down and stuff. And yeah, it was kind of fun. It was kind of silly. The, the twist at the end of it was that the support group has basically taken upon themselves to with each new member that they induct, they track down the person who hurt them and mm-hmm. uh, they, they kill them and basically vanish them off the face of the planet. And. Yeah. So that was that was my uh, that was my short, and I sent it off, and uh, it, we wound up we were running up against the wire, and we didn't add a score, and it didn't get chosen. But I still love the idea, and I wound up rewriting it as a much more grounded thing a handful of years ago. And I was actually going to shoot it as a feature, and it never happened. But it's been an idea that I've been sitting on for the longest time, and still, I saw it was kind of a one-two punch when I did the interview with Josh Stahlberg and he mentioned what bad blood was going to be initially. As soon as I heard like support group with survivors of other horror movie franchises, I was like, well, I'm not as clever as I think I am. Uh, you know, I, cause I thought that was a fairly unique idea, but whoops. And I was like, it's a, you know great idea.
2: it's a great idea.
1: I was like, that's okay though. I was like, that's okay. Because sadly, unfortunately, because I think this movie would have been really cool. I was like, unfortunately, you know, it, it wasn't made, but fortunately for me, that idea still Still hasn't been put out there into the universe. And then the second punch in this one, two punch a (laughs) room was, uh, yeah, Grady Hendrix's book, Final Girls Support (laughs) Group, or something like that, comes out. And now it's going to be a TV show. And I'm just like,
2: well, fuck. I. I know that sucks. Well, at least you know that you have as creative a brain as Grady. That's, that's great. I kid you not. There've been so many times, not
1: that I've ever even come close to having like even representation or whatever, but I've written so many things where I'm, I'm convinced that like the idea is unique and solid. And then like two months later, something happens. I remember a buddy of mine who actually works in the industry. I, he's the guy who's like my first reader who checks out everything. And he's just I, I I know he feels bad for me because he'll just get back to me. and he's like, "Well, at least you know you're hitting on something. At least nah. you know
2: you have your finger on a pulse. You're not getting there quickly enough, but <laughs> nobody's coming up with it It's like the biggest cliche, but it's so true is there are no original ideas. You just gotta do it in your own unique, cute way. Yeah. although yeah, with that HBO, I think Mac show coming up with Charlie Theron, you might want to act fast because <laughs> because it's yeah. happening. Yeah. You know what? It is a good idea, though. It's funny, though,
1: because that very same friend of mine, uh, I would also read his stuff back in the day before he sort of uh, made it into the industry and he had written something that was very similar. He had started it and then a big sci fi movie from a major director came out and it was sort of trading in the same themes and there was even a similar, like, sort of set piece in it. And I remember he was kind of like, damn it. You know, he's like, I got to put this to bed. And I was just like, "I, I. I, I remember trying to talk him out of it, but I think he was mm-hmm. kind of convinced. And then later he was just like, you know what? They don't own that. You know, I, I can do my riff on that. And sure enough, that was the project that sort of like got him in. So, See, uh,
2: you never know. Also, like there's going to be two Hellraiser projects in the same year from completely different production houses. Why not both? I, I, I hear you. I'm okay with that. I uh
1: I am still wanting to tell that story at some point, but uh I mm-hmm. feel like this point I probably need to let it breathe for a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe like give it five years. Eh. If I recall, we had we have Christy or Christy, my apologies, from the original Hellraiser in this Hellraiser in or Halloween in Hell moment. She dies right at the beginning. Is this correct?
1: It, yeah, it's so crazy to me because the support group was filled with survivors, obviously, of other horror movie franchises. And it's said that within the group, there's like a character from Phantasm here, a victim from Critters there. The okay. prophecy, The prophecy and Leprechaun were mentioned as well. Like, imagine Good. this group, you know? What a weird group, but I love it. Yeah, and like the obviously the two leads are Kirsty uh, Cotton from Hellraiser, and then we have Jamie Lloyd from Halloween. And
2: uh, I mean, it's kind of not an A list cast across the board, which I which I which I celebrate. Yeah, but but
1: it's all the people you know with those two together. Like I I just I would watch a movie with Jamie Lloyd and Kirsty Cotton just going for coffee and I chatting about their problems. Both.
2: They're both <laughs> incredible characters, to be honest. I really love both of them. No, if I'm wrong, say it. Let me have it.
1: I, I, you know what? I, I, my love for both may cloud my opinion on this. Uh,
2: mm. I'll, I'll be diplomatic.
1: Uh, He's partisan.
2: He's partisan. <laughs> but
1: no. So uh, apparently, in the support group meeting, Jamie, you know, she discusses with them like Michael Myers, the curse of Thorn, the fact that she can't have a normal life. Like, which is a really smart way of sort of cluing in uninitiated viewers who maybe you know, haven't seen all of the previous Halloween movies. You know, we, we get caught up to speed pretty quickly on who this woman is. And, uh, the meeting ends, the survivors head out into the parking lot and Michael Myers attacks. Kirsty Cotton, which I love this idea that Kirsty Cotton from Hellraiser steps in to save Jamie Lloyd from Halloween, but Michael, as you mentioned, kills her. He stabs at her, but she has the Lamar Sean puzzle box, the lament configuration in her hands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the force of Michael's sort of stabbing, it shoves the box into her chest and she dies. And I got to tell you, part of me would have been very, very upset that Kirsty sort of dies unceremoniously in this movie. And yet another part of me cannot help but appreciate the fact that Stahlberg and Florsheim were sort of uh, unwittingly or not playing into a trope in the Halloween franchise, which is mm-hmm. in the first act, you tend to have heroin you know, unceremoniously off. So yeah, he was, he was, you know, they were just writing into that. And um, yeah, from there, Jamie escapes. She is hit by an ambulance. She's taken away to the hospital as Pinhead arrives to look over the fallen Christie I said Christy. I that's that's horrible. We're gonna to make this mistake. Me.
2: Sorry, everybody. Yeah.
1: I, I you know what? It's not even. I know better. I know it's Kirsty Cotton. But there's something about. It. I look at the word and I'm just like Christy.
2: You know. I um, can't say Kirsty, Christy's impossible. And then put the word cotton at the end of it. How dare you, Kirsty Cotton? <laughs> Kirsty Cotton. It's it's actually it's the best character name of all time. Also the worst character name of all time. How I can't... does
1: Ashley Lawrence not have a line of horror movie T-shirts called like Kirsty's Cotton? You oh, know,
2: I love it. Or like or like fancy underwear. You know, like Fruit of the Loom. Yeah, just damn it. it. We should. You know? We got a picture. We got a. We, we <laughs> have. We have ideas. But Kirsty, uh, as
1: Pinhead arrives to look over her, her dying words to him are. <laughs> Her dying words are, you never got me. And mm. Pinhead, Pinhead is furious. Her soul was his, so he's determined to take one, you know, another soul in her stead.
2: How come and... he can't
1: just take her, in your opinion, though?
2: Like, she had to have fucked with the box for him to be able to grab her? I think right so. I her.
1: Going from the previous movies, I think he always played fair with her.
2: And he did so, actually. I'm always like he kind of saves the cat with her a couple of times.
1: Yeah, he. You know that is that is the one thing about Pinhead is so far as the rules go, like he he's he's fair. He's he's he doesn't cheat. You know, and you know, which uh, is
2: almost the scarier part because if you're fucked, you are out of here, baby. Like,
1: well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, he he is a rule book beater no matter what, which is yeah. terrifying in any yeah. regard. But he, <laughs> uh, you know, you know that there is no. Well, Wait. I can't, well, in a way there is no sort of reasoning with him, except that's, that's exactly what Kirsty does in Hellraiser. Uh, she strikes a bargain mm-hmm. with him, but uh, yeah, I, I guess the idea is that Pinhead and, you know, we can kind of go from that moment at the end of part two. There, there's that respect between them and there's that weird sort of, uh, there has to be slash fiction out there. There has to be like oh, yeah. with the two of them in it, but yeah, um, no, I I think Pinhead just kind of wanted her, and mm-hmm. as a result, you know the way she dies. She dies heroically, and she dies not opening the box. And so, uh, I I think he's kind of forever lost her, and as a result, he he's I think he's just kind of pissed. And let's be honest here, I think he's kind of petty. He's kind of petty about it. Yeah, he's, uh, petty. he's petty. He's petty. He's like, you know what, shape, you know, Michael Myers. You're going to take mine. I'm going to take one of yours.
2: So rude.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, Pinhead and Michael are kind of uh, on a collision course with Jamie Lloyd stuck between them. Michael wants to kill her because of the Thorn Curse. Pinhead wants to take Michael's prey from him by taking Mm -hmm. her instead. Um, Jamie, by the end of the movie, actually winds up getting pulled into hell and to get to her. And I I, I will admit, there is something corny about this but there's also something incredibly cool about this
2: mm-hmm.
1: to get to her michael unlocks the lament configuration so he can go to hell to get to her and apparently oh. there is michael's weirdly childlike uh, demeanor as it were it, there's something about it that allows him to easily tap into the lamar configuration and to solve it so he goes to hell and uh jamie and michael are both tortured by the Cenobites. Until Michael pulls free and begins slaughtering them. And um, (laughs) I love it. Michael and Pinhead go at it. Michael uses Pinhead's chains against him, pulling pins out of his head. Yeah, Some pins out of his head. He drives some of them further in. Poor (laughs) Pinhead would have looked like hell by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And as they're doing that, they, they're they just sort of, they obliterate the landscape around them. And uh, oh. Jamie escapes with the help of one of the uh, transfused survivors who we'll get to. And uh, each of them kind of use lament configurations in their own way to escape. And uh, this is kind of what I love. Uh, there were meant to be, <clears throat> there's meant to be two different reels sent to movie theaters, two different final reels, each with different winners. So depending on which movie or rather which theater or which showtime you watched, you were either going to see Michael or you were going to see Penhead as the victor, the winner. And given whoever it was, that would be the character that would come for Jamie and her friend at the end, just before they're sealed off. forever. Oh, cool. and, uh, Yeah. And then you would end with Jamie and her friend limping into the sunset. And uh, apparently Mustafa Akkad was not super keen on pitches that deviated from his uh, pretty specific ideas as to what Michael Myers should be. He even gave Stolberg a piece of paper that outlined the rules of the Halloween universe, which very much concerned the bloodline of the Strode family. Uh, Where did that go by resurrection? And the initial Stolberg floorsheim MVP, Halloween in Hell, Michael versus Pinhead pitch very much broke a lot of those rules. Yes.
2: Yes. It, too campy for Michael. It seems like the Akkads really were trying to keep him somehow based in naturalism, which is such a joke if you start thinking about four, five, and six. But yeah. yeah. I You know, I
1: get it. Maybe they, especially, here's the thing. I think Bad Blood could have worked like gangbusters and would have made complete sense if the if it had been done after Halloween six-hmm
2: as well, whole, a follow
1: uh-huh. up to Halloween h2o which seemed to sort you of can't
2: yes it, it
1: grounded the franchise again you know and so that that might have been a bit tougher to pull off. So I kind of get that. Yes.
2: After h two, it, it was like a true blue reboot, H2O. It successfully rebooted it and simplified it. And all of that Thorn stuff was out the window. And thank God. Like, you know, we need that HBO miniseries. But other than that, it, it was time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Stolberg noted that he'd originally wanted Jamie Lee Curtis back as Laurie Strode in the lead. So... Their really? version of MVP and their version of Bad Blood actually would have been Laurie Strode in the main role, but <laughs> Stolberg and Florsheim were told that Halloween H two O was her last film.
2: Yeah, she was. I feel like she was vocal about that at the time. Yeah, it, ha ha ha. Yeah. Because yeah, right jump. after she
1: she does the opening of Resurrection, which I just. Hate. I know. I hate it's it not so
2: for you. It's not for Jinx. We have to respect that, everybody. And we do.
1: I hiss. I, I cat hiss.
2: At it's that gross. Night. It's it's disrespectful, to say the least. Yes.
1: I know. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, so with Laurie out of the picture, but Akkad still wanting to stick to the Myers Strode bloodline, Jamie was brought back into consideration, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And it would have been. It... I would have been curious to see, like, if they had written a screenplay, you know, really fleshed it all out, how they would have accounted for Halloween H2O. It's like, OK, if you're bringing up the idea of the bloodline again and the curse again, then why is Michael going after Jamie again instead of also trying to go after Laurie? You know, it
2: just, it, just you have little... to have some weird montage at the beginning. It's like Laurie is dead. Jamie, just like they did with part four.
1: Oh, that would have been that would have pissed me <laughs> off, too
2: so yeah it was honestly, weird part four to be honest
1: Halloween H2O has the best ending that that original run ever made. Ever yes so.
2: and I, I don't know if it was you or if it's my friend Emily who says and I think it may be Emily that the reason that the beginning of Resurrection is so repulsive is not because they disrespect Lori Strode but because they disrespect the ending of H2O was that mm-hmm. you or was that Emily
1: I believe that was Emily but I agree with her wholeheartedly
2: it's true it's true it's a real slap in the face I hate it. Um, it's also funny though, that like first he crushes the larynx, then he puts the mask on. Him. It's very organized. He's Which is a such starter. Such you know?
1: bullshit. Because when you watch the end of H2O, the look in his eyes, his very well-lit evil. eyes, he evil. is evil. The whole point of it is that Laurie has a moment where she wants to connect with her brother, and she he reaches out to her and she reaches out to him. Uh And then she looks up and she sees in his eyes that he's still evil, that he's still devious, that he is counting on her to touch him so that he can do something to try and get himself out of that situation or at least kill her. Yeah. It is not... Uh, like an
2: EMT with a crushed larynx reaching no, out to her in no, that scene. No, 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 I mean, you know what? Yes, it was. According to canon, it was. We have to respect canon.
1: The movie's but not Usta canon. The
2: Rhymes killed Michael Myers. This nope. is the canon that we live in right now.
1: And I refuse a... it. I refuse <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> I, I still want to see Halloween Retribution where we see the death of, of uh, Freddy because it seems cool to me. It's weird to me how this Hellraiser crossover Kind of turned into bad blood. Um, I wasn't aware until I was reading your article, your Phantom Limbs piece about it, and it's it's cool because you're you're going from one like super outrageous, very campy, uh, project into what feels like a more traditional modern Halloween, which is Halloween, bad blood.
1: Yeah, I think so. It, it, I mean, bad blood. It sounds like still would have been a little heightened, a little. You know, a little fun, a little funny. You know, a bit campy here and meta, there.
2: right? It seems
1: very oh, meta. Totally, by the end of it, it would have been meta as hell. And Which I is
2: not a cod approved. Don't be meta with a cod. He doesn't want that.
1: Yeah, and but I looked the resurrection again, and I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Busta Rhymes in a Michael Myers mask and costume, cursing out mad. the actual Michael. It just, I, 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 feel like
2: the, I feel like Mustafa hated resurrection. This is the energy I got. I feel like
1: Mustafa was right too. Yes.
2: <laughs> you know that I at least for the next month or so I'm pro Resurrection and there's nothing you can do to change that. And we have to celebrate each other for who we are. Jake. Okay. That's only fair. That's only fair.
1: <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like Halloween Bad Blood took the core idea of the survivors group and the transfused blood and the curse of thorn and it just sort of you know it removed all the hellraiser references and then built a movie around it and it's
2: so much better without hellraiser in it I have to say I'm a big I'm a big hellraiser fan but it just muckied up this this plot
1: Agreed. Agreed. And this is, I mean, uh, that that Halloween Hellraiser movie is a movie that I 100% would have watched. I don't (laughs) know that I would have dug it. I gotta tell you, Halloween Bad Blood, I I get the feeling that I would have dug the hell out of this movie. I really do.
2: Wait, so why do you think, after the huge success of Freddy vs. Jason, that we never did see another versus in the franchise world? Do you think it's because they didn't want to be compared to it? or What what do you think the cause was there?
1: I think it was just the lack of franchise characters to go around because, you know, it it feels like there's so many, but when, you know, you look at who owns who and then the compatibility, I mean, yeah, Freddy Mm -mm. versus Jason, which that makes all the sense in the world. So, Dimension looked at their properties and they were like, uh, Halloween Hellraiser, how about that? And uh, when you have.
2: It's the closest you get to like being a maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely, I would agree with that. And at the same time, like, you know, I, I completely understand why Malika Cod was like, I recently interviewed him and he talked about that. It hasn't gone up yet, but he mentioned, he was like, I was always a hard no. On that, he was like, just absolutely yeah. not. And I and I get it. You know, they want to protect Good. their character. They want to protect their brand.
2: They're the only um, people in this industry that seem to have a little bit of I don't know. Um, I don't. Know what's the word? Not class, but they take it seriously. And they're. It's not just a money grab for them. It is a money grab for them. But they they respect I, their. I, that's.
1: I don't know that it is. That's the thing. Yeah, not somebody, at all. Eh? Somebody said you know, and again, having interviewed him, like he obviously, you know, with his father having passed, you you Mm -hmm. just, you get the sense that he respects the legacy of the character and the franchise and that he's trying to do his best. And he even admits, you know, when I did the interview with him, he was like, look, we're always trying to stay true to the character and stay true to the franchise. And he was like, we don't
2: always get it right. And he was like, but we're always trying. trying." They are, and you can tell that they are. And every once in a while, they really do get it right. I've always thought it would be really amazing to do like a documentary on the Akkad's because there's so much interesting stuff that goes down. A hundred percent. the way that like their own family line kind of mirrors the whole like family bloodline part within, within Halloween. It's like this family didn't have that many film franchises that were recognizable or film projects that were recognizable. But Halloween was sort of their big property. And it's such a family uh, themed property. I don't know. I feel like you could, Get some poetic back and forth in a doc.
1: I I would I think that's a great approach for a Halloween documentary that would show us something that we haven't seen that often. Plus, it's funny. I just found a, uh, a documentary on YouTube. Somebody had cut together. I think Daniel Farren's uh, home videos from the set, and they you know cut it together, put some narration. It's actually quite good, but. There was just a lot of footage of Mustafa Akkad on set. And he just, he seemed like the coolest guy. Like he seemed like just this warm grandfatherly type. He sounds cool. uh,
2: He sounds a little scary. Like, like you, you know, you you take what he says very seriously. Like you don't want to disappoint him. And I feel like it's possible to disappoint him.
1: Well, it was nice to hear that unlike uh, Phil Rosenberg's script for Halloween 6, you know, (laughs) he did not throw Halloween bad blood across the room after he read it. Uh, That we know. So,
2: uh, I, I would like to think he didn't. <laughs> uh, I feel like, I don't know. The bar was kind of on the floor. Kind of. <laughs> but, um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: if we eventually got to it, I'm okay, no, no, not going to do it. I'm getting, I'm not going to knock resurrection again. I'm going to move on. I respect you. Uh be diplomatic jinx. It's <laughs> so, no, but I honestly, yes. So, I think Bad Blood, one, I think that title would have changed, um, I get the mm. feeling, like even though it is, I mean, it does totally refer to what's happening in the story in a really fun and clever it's way. Such a
2: good title! In my it opinion. is, it is. I just can't see it as
1: being like, uh, I, they, you know, there was something almost like hammery about the subtitles that the franchise had up until that point. You know, you had the the return of Michael Myers, the revenge of Michael Myers, the curse of Michael Myers, H two
2: O totally. You know, it's like, oh, what? Uh, yeah, you know. it's, it's clearly something has changed. <laughs> and bad blood has that really like uh, modern feel. Yeah, yeah,
1: bad. Yeah, I get that. I, I, I would have preferred them. You know, keeping on with the, 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 the more luxurious subtitles, just you know, the blood <laughs> of Michael Myers. You know, something like
2: that. Um, I like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, much like MVP, bad blood <laughs> opened in Chicago. It began with a support group very much like the one from mvp except it wasn't all final girls or survivors from previous horror franchises it was just a group of folks and uh like jamie lloyd was really the only final girl of the group in this version which again i think goes towards sort of grounding this version of the story as opposed to the more heightened one that we got before you know we don't have leprechaun and prophecy survivors and critters survivors here so uh Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this one, Bad Blood, was the one that was written around November of 2000, so it was before Resurrection, but it was far beyond the point of Halloween H2O, which, uh, you know, Halloween H2O retconned Jamie out of existence, uh, and also
2: part six, where she was killed in both cuts. So, which makes uh, me think, why did they even think to bring her back? It doesn't seem like something that ever would have flown. I, I don't
1: know. I do love the idea that Silverberg and Thorsheim had figured out. How to account for the the death in six, they kind of did it in two ways, you know early on, we find out that Jamie is you know pretty badly scarred up, and you know so obviously there have been many battles that she and Michael's had that we haven't been privy to, and presumably she was meant to have just survived part six, except you know that would fly on its own I think uh and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm sorry, but there is an explanation as to why we saw jamie lloyd killed in halloween 6 and yet she's running around here and it involves uh well,
2: yeah i was I, yeah i don't think i know
1: oh okay uh i'll surprise you with it later on because it's pretty great <laughs> <laughs> um because it is neat it's a it's a cool idea later on this kind of reveal because the entire time you know horror fans would have been like now wait a second you know i saw her destroyed with a farm implement and this was before we were
2: used to retconning like it was not a thing yet yeah
1: yeah oh yeah the uninitiated viewers back then would have been like what the hell um yeah much like in the previous movie or rather the previous treatment mvp In the support group, Jamie notes how long it's been since Michael tried to kill her. And it's something like she has it down to the hour, you know, like seven months, so many days, so many hours. And uh, she describes the thorn curse, Michael Myers. She points out that she hasn't been able to have a life. She can't have a relationship because michael keeps hunting her down and killing anybody around her you know until she can escape him again and uh it's at this point in the story that there's an abusive husband of one of the support group members he pops up with a knife going after one of the uh the the members presumably his wife and jamie sort of you know she takes matters into her own hands and disarms him which shows that all of her constant fighting throughout the years has honed her into uh a pretty effective ass kicker. as Yeah, it
2: totally. It, it kind of gave me a little bit of Your Next energy.
1: Yeah, oh, totally, totally. Which would have been so cool to see Daniel Harris in that kind of role, which we do eventually see her kind of in that role anyway with uh, Mary Beth in the two hatchet sequels.
2: Yes, and she kind of looks like, too. what's the lead from Your Next? Do you know her name offhand? Uh, Sharni Vinson. Do they look alike to you, or is it just me? I could see it. I could see the... Anything yeah, else Danielle Harris kind of looks like to me is um, the lead from Sorority Row and the the Town That Dreaded Sundown remake. I think it's the same person. Do you know who I'm talking about?
1: Uh, so I think it's Brianna Evigan in Sorority Row, and I think it's... Um, oh my god,
2: it's two different people?
1: It is two different people. Oh, um, no. The, <laughs> it's town that, the Town That Dreaded Sundown was... Uh, oh, she's a very good actor. Um, she was so good. And I forget her name. That's awful. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, Well, at
2: least you knew it was two different people. It's very important because I could have been in a lot of trouble. So I am. uh, I'm going to look her up. As uh, it's it's brunettes with bangs. It's like like it's hard to know. It's hard to tell them apart.
1: I'm talking about a great movie, the Town of Dreaded Sundown remake is better than it had any right to be.
2: I just watched it this weekend, and I loved it. Except for like, if it wasn't for the ending, which I'm not a fan of, I think it would have been kind of a like a classic. You're right. It's funny though. That is, you know, <laughs> the original, uh,
1: *Town time that dreaded sundown and equally kind of ends with that, uh, that sort of maddening tease, you know,
2: it's like, well, what's going on here? What's
1: the deal? What's, what's happening?
2: Um, yeah, it wasn't, I, I feel like it wasn't rewarding enough and it didn't make any sense, but I love, I just loved it. And I, I love the whole mythos that it's, it, um, depends on from real life, but also expands upon, very Ryan Murphy. No, totally. Which I, I
1: I I really love some of his forays into uh, into horror. I really do. Uh, I know it seems to be hip as hell to knock him sometimes because not American every season movie. of American Horror Story is sterling. But I'm like, you know what? That, that guy is doing some really interesting stuff in the and genre. How,
2: how many days is he on that set in actuality?
1: Now yeah, yeah. Different. I I plus I mean there, he's got to be doing something right because damn things run for a decade and has a spinoff. So respect uh and
2: the spinoff got another season did you
1: watch american horror stories i you know i saw the first two seasons and i actually love them quite a bit i started the third and for whatever reason never got around to finishing it oh i the
2: uh the off sorry the the spinoff the the no
1: no no i i felt like uh-huh. i needed to because i heard that uh ben Harmon was back in it from the first season but he'd also appeared in a later season so i'm like <laughs> well i guess i'm gonna have to finally catch up on the 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 og series before i watch the spinoff so
2: um i feel like i've interrupted you we were in the midst of like some really juicy stuff do you, yes. where were you oh
1: sorry i did find out her name though the town of dreaded sundown starred addison timlin who was very Aww. good in that movie so good so michael pops up at the support group begins okay. cutting his way through the support group you and jamie okay uh, amazing uh in the midst of all of this jamie and michael are hit by an ambulance and both are taken to the hospital where the doctors sort of marvel at all the scars that jamie's body bears uh and there's a quote the doctors can't believe the number of scars and stab wounds on Jamie's body. This pretty girl looks like a one-woman war zone. Uh, and I just love that idea. It reminds me of uh, you know, the first time, I think it was the first superhero movie to kind of do something like this, but the reveal of Affleck's body in the shower in Daredevil, where yeah. it's like, okay, this is a superhero movie, but this is also a guy who, you know, we're gonna take a realistic look at what it's continual cool. fights would be
2: like. You it's know? so badass, especially with the case of Jamie. It's like, it's very, yeah, it's very military. It's yeah. Cool. And I,
1: I love the idea that it's like, how many adventures, how many Halloween sequels have we missed between these two? You know, I, I love yeah. that idea.
2: And I love how it's clear that he is relentlessly coming after her, but she's also relentlessly surviving. It's cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's, she is, uh she's not just a final girl one time over. It, it seems like the, the, the story is introducing the notion that, You know, she's a survivor time and time and time and time again. Um, But it's here that the main plot kicks into gear. And I love this. Jamie has her own personal blood supply at the hospital, presumably in preparation for events like this when she gets attacked and needs treatment. (laughs) <laughs> which is crazy to think that she's been attacked so many times that she's had to prep for it by giving the nearest local hospital blood to keep on standby for the inevitable. Um, I love what that the, idea. What
2: do what the authorities think of this, though? This kind of... This hole is here, but I'm okay. Yeah, well, yeah, it's
1: like... <laughs> How did, how did she pull that off? Did she go to the hospital and just pay somebody off to keep like a supply out of the way? It's or... very
2: Buffy, the vampire's there, so I can get behind that. Oh,
1: I love it. And I love that. I, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world that you would have a final girl who uh, who, who, just keeps her own blood supply around because she's going to need it. Um, but what mm-hmm. I love about this idea is that in all of the chaos, a nurse makes a mistake and puts Jamie's personal supply in into the main storage freezer where it is then used to help seven random people who get transfused with jamie's personal blood supply which comes with the thorn curse fuck yes
2: (laughs) fuck yes it's so stupid but it's so good i love it
1: hence the title bad blood yeah baby that is that is such a neat idea that all of a sudden you have all of these and plus there is a moment in their treatment where Michael he is uh he gets free, he gets uh he gets his knife, I think, or some sort of killing implement. He's advancing on Jamie, who is actually helpless in the hospital bed at this point. I think she's strapped down because she was struggling, and he has her, he has her dead to rights. And then you have this moment where you're seeing all these different people transfused at once with Jamie's blood, and apparently there was meant to be like a CG sequence where you see the blood flowing down the IV line and into their bodies. Uh, signaling that you know these people now have the curse and michael it's like the
2: jason x opening
1: sequence kind of yeah yeah and michael has this moment where he stops and is just kind of confused because he can feel that the curse has now shot out to seven other people and so he staggers away trying to find, like, all of these other people at once, and... <laughs> <laughs>
2: it, sucks. it sucks for him. It's like you thought you were so close to the end, and then all of a sudden the goals change.
1: You know, if he could speak, tell me that wouldn't be a moment for him to
2: just be like, fuck! That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually, if you think about it on that level, because he would be so... He was so close. Six, seven movies. Eight movies. Then this bullshit has to happen. Better yet, you
1: know what? If you wanted to stay completely true to the character, just do do the fuck thing, but just silently where you see him standing there and you just see him wilt a little bit, his shoulders slump and you just
2: hear like (sighs) Yeah, but then he would like prop back up and keep going because this is a self-starter as we said. Absolutely. So
1: Michael is no longer compelled to just go after Jamie. He now has over a half dozen new victims he has to slaughter and these include do you do you want do you want to call off the victims to beat, or do you want me to?
2: Sure, I can run through this list of character names. So we've got Amber Lynn, who is a fake attempted suicide. We have Betsy, which is a ten year old tomboy with cancer. We've got Ed, which is a Goth vampire wannabe who sneaks into the hospital and drinks Jamie's blood supply, grows. We have Leon, a badass stuntman who winds up in the hospital after an onset injury, uh-oh. We have Sheila, a plastic surgery addict, socialite. We have Burger, hemophiliac, Gus, a 24-year-old student who suffers from severe OCD. And then last but not least, my favorite character, we have Horace Merriweather, uh, an eccentric serial killer enthusiast whose gothic house is home to an extensive collection of items related to Michael Myers' exploits. Love it.
1: Yeah. And I don't believe, he doesn't get transfused, I don't believe, but he is definitely like one of the major supporting characters in the story. Who would you cast?
2: Who would you cast as
1: Horace? You know, they said, uh, Stolberg said like, uh, well, actually I think it was in the treatment. Think Steve Buscemi and, uh, All right. you know, I can't top that.
2: So. You no, know, that's good. And you know, if it was today, it would be like some 30 year old. That's like hot, but like with glasses on.
1: It would either, you're a hundred percent right. It would either be that, or it would be like, um uh, uh like something fan servicey. Like uh, you, you, oh, you yeah. Get, you would get Robert England in the role, you know? Or. Oh, uh, if
2: this was 1998, absolutely.
1: <laughs> uh, which I would be okay with. I think that would actually be pretty cool. Well,
2: um, oh, I mean, Wishmaster is my favorite movie, so me too.
1: Yeah, uh, Wishmaster is so good. Uh, did you just see uh, Peter Atkins, the guy who wrote Wishmaster, he is publishing his original screenplay for Hellraiser Bloodline? Uh, no. Which is. Oh yes so, I did see this So yes we get to read his original screenplay now Which differs wildly from the butchered Theatrical <laughs> version of the film That we eventually got so I'm, I'm Which I like on that.
2: but yeah it's very butcherino You know how like there's like five Subtitles that is interchangeable In all horror movies I feel like Bloodline actually would also would have worked pretty neatly for this one. Yeah, Halloween Bloodline. Yeah. No, that that would have it would have fit. Like a cute direct-to-video sequel that like had its moments.
1: Yeah, you know, that's totally what this movie seems like it would have been. And that's not a knock against Stolberger or Floorsheim. It's no knock on the story, which I think no, totally could all. have been theatrical. But this seems like this was the kind of era where Dimension was starting to transition all of their major franchises to directed
2: DVD or directed video, you know, so huge time. It was when directed DVD was a huge, or just even becoming a huge market. And, um, as you know, even better than I do they were really starting to investigate direct to video uh, items for the halloween franchise including two faces of evil which actually sounds pretty good and did turn into h2o if i'm not mistaken
1: yeah yeah i think that would have been cool um yeah and i honestly i think we probably have the cons to thank for keeping the franchise theatrical i think they were probably you know that that was probably one of the many issues yes. that the Akkads and Dimension had when they were wrestling with ownership over that uh, that franchise,
2: but I'm, I'm glad the Akkads... Well, they were right, because it, it destroyed Hellraiser for so long. Because we got, even... like, 20 years of unwatchable Hellraiser movies. Well! Okay, fine. Hellworld was incredible, actually. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I, think I, I talk about it every other episode. i probably said it to you. I, I, I like Hellworld. It's so funny.
1: I you know those it, it, I will give Hellworld this, and please, I want it on the record that this is the only thing that I'm giving Hellworld is that it is a beautifully made, very well cast movie.
2: For, I mean for, for what it is yeah. like
1: it's I mean, they you can tell they put that's the thing about those early 2000s like dimension movies
2: seven yeah, million dollars right like they put in something money.
1: stupid like yeah you would now those movies would get like a five hundred thousand dollar budget yes. back in the day yes. they pumped millions into them they shot them millions. on the film and they uh yeah like i gotta say hellraiser inferno from scott derrickson i dig Not it bad. Not bad hell Hellseeker, which is essentially
2: the that same Scott derrickson oh wow funny how things Turn out in the yeah, end.
1: Inferno was this was a couple of years before he did the Exorcism of Emily Rose, and uh, you that. know probably about off. a decade before Sinister. But uh, and then we had Hellseeker, uh, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Ashley Lawrence back, which yes, I think did. is a lot of fun. We have
2: um, uh, oh, better which is I think fun. I think better's okay. I've always just been very confused by the title as someone that hasn't actually seen it. Oh, uh,
1: so it revolves around the cult, basically. It always um, does. Yeah, and then we we have a hell world, and then we have ah uh, oh, we have Hellraiser revelations. Which, I know, uh,
2: very sad. It's a very, it's truly a a very dark, upsetting moment in horror history. And then there's Judgment, which I think is pretty cool. I like the history. I like the background story. It's it's inspiring. Yeah, like the, the, you know, um, Gary
1: Tunnicliffe, you know, the guy who had done the makeup on uh, loads of dimension things, I'm sure like Halloween. And as a matter of fact, he, I believe if I'm getting this right, Gary Tunnicliffe actually crafted a version of the shape mask that was going to harken back to the original Shatner mask for Tyler Maine to wear over Mm -hmm. top of his burned face in uh, Halloween 3D, the Todd Farmer, Patrick Lussier movie. So- I love mm-hmm. Gary Tunnicliffe. I got to interview him once and he was super cool. But Icon. He, yes. And he did some, you know, they finally gave him his turn at bat before they completely went under. And I think Tunnicliffe did something really interesting with, I mean, I think they gave him $17 for a budget. And he turned out a movie that was super imaginative. You know, the yeah. Stygian Inquisition I thought was a great idea. It had a, a, a great kind of grimy look to it. You know, some of the cop stuff didn't work, but. I think he showed incredible promise as a storyteller, and I wish he had been given another, another turn at bat.
2: Yeah, you know, with an actual, with some real support behind him, would be nice. Give him a five hundred thousand dollar budget. I think he would have murdered. Did he not even get that? Was it like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something? It was. I'm sure it was something not great. It's Uh, just let the franchise go. Please, if you're going to do that, it's just so
1: rude. Well, that's what bums me out is now Hellraiser has been discovered and it's been parsed out where we have you yeah. know, David Gordon Green doing the HBO series. And we have, uh, which I'm Bruckner. excited about, we have uh, Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski having written uh, a Hellraiser movie directed by David Bruckner. So we have the creative team behind The Nighthouse, which was fucking incredible, mm-hmm. doing a Hellraiser movie. There was that super exciting casting for Pinhead. Yep, Jamie and- Clayton. Yes, everything is going right for that movie. David Gordon Green doing Hellraiser, I'm not so sure about, but I'm willing to wait. Is it going to happen?
2: Hellmost. Is it going to happen? I, that's what I keep asking. I'm, I'm what, not convinced.
1: What bums me out about all of it, and I, you know, I don't want to, as somebody has pointed out about other things online, and I think they're right. I don't want to second guess any creative team's decisions, and you know, I'm I'm willing to, mm, to see I them do. out and check anything out. But what bums me out is. Uh, you know, we got the movie, and we have the HBO series, and I haven't heard Gary Tunnicliffe's name anywhere. No. And this is a man no. who worked on that franchise for nearly thirty years. Yeah, so it's like, what? Come on, just get
2: bring him back. Damn it! It's it's horrendous when that happens, like with Mancini and the, the reboot at Orion or Orion. Yeah, uh, that yeah, was that was just gross, gross, gross. Yeah, but at least we have these. I don't know. These projects seem fairly prestigious, and it's. Just, we, and, it's not how we've seen Hellraiser in so long, so I'm ready for it. Absolutely. So
1: Bad Blood, I think, would have been worthy of theatrical, but at that point in Dimensions mm-hmm. uh, history, you gotta know they were probably, if they would have ever picked this up, they probably would have pushed hard for directed video. Um and I, you know, I either way, I, I kinda wish this no, I, I'll say it. I really wish this movie existed. I wish that somehow, some way it had gotten made, uh, at some point, because I think it would have been a lot of fun because my goodness, we have Michael who's now pissed off trying to track down a group of characters who are now cursed with, you know, thorn. Yeah. Just by virtue of the fact that they were transfused and honestly, like going through the body count, like a lot of these sound, not just the set pieces, but the characters themselves at times sound really fun in the way that they were set up. Like, um, Okay, so first up is Amber, uh, who Michael chases out of the hospital like she is essentially victim. Number one, he goes after her and there's a twist on the scene in the original Halloween with, uh, you know, near the end where Laurie is running from house to house and she's screaming for help. And, you know, the lights turn on and then they turn off and you can tell that people are ignoring her because they don't think that she's actually in trouble. Amazing. There is a twist on that sequence where this Amber character is running around. She eventually, Michael's almost on her and she's like to hell with it. She, I think she grabs a brick and she breaks into somebody's home. Michael comes after her and Amber gets killed not by Michael, but by the shotgun-toting homeowner who thinks that she is an intruder. Genius. So she gets killed by the homeowner and then Michael kills the homeowner right after, which I think is, uh, yeah, it's kind of genius. It's kind of fun. It's anti-gun
2: violence. (laughs)
1: <laughs> then we have blood drinking ed who sees michael tries to befriend him thinking that he had met him at a rob zombie concert or something he tries to convince him to join in a vampire bloodletting ritual michael does join in a bloodletting ritual but not necessarily the one that ed expected so there goes ed oh <laughs> uh he overdosed. this is crazy so sheila Gets an overdose of Botox thanks to Michael, which paralyzes her. And then at that point, like he descends upon her. Like he, you know, Michael, Michael does his thing. He eventually beheads her. Uh, the Gus character has OCD, which, and this I think, is, you know, it's fun in its own way. Like, it makes him. <laughs> his OCD makes it nearly impossible for him to escape from Michael. There's a sequence where he's trying to escape and he has to stop oh. and mind the cracks on a tiled porch.
2: Oh, that's, that's stressful. Yeah. I it's like, because I like that. You feel bad. I, like, and I got the feeling
1: it's not necessarily, it wasn't making fun of him, but it was pointing out like, what would a person who has to contend with that sort of thing be like in a situation where they're being chased by a maniac. And there is this amazing moment where I think he runs past a discarded penny. And stops and sees Michael coming right at him. And he has to take a breath and race right back toward Michael. It's tragic. Stop and pick up the penny and narrowly escape Michael's knife. But he does make it it for the moment. Um, You have the stuntman character, Leon. And I do love this. This is a moment that kind of like it reminds me of uh, the opening of Feast. Where you have this alpha male dude who is going to... You know, he kind of alpha males his way in. He's going to lead the group. And eight and a half seconds later, the treatment says uh, he gets cut up by Michael. So literally he has his big Sam Jackson giving a speech in Deep Blue Sea moment. Yeah. And then Michael kills his ass, which I love.
2: I love Feast, by the way. Uh, Feast is great.
1: Uh, So good. I I, I like that movie quite a lot. Um, I'm still waiting for Project Greenlight Season 3 to hit DVD. Where is it? It's been 18 years.
2: Are there even DVDs anymore?
1: There were uh <laughs> we're fair point. Um, there were, you know, it, it bugs me. It makes me twitch because there were DVD compilations of project green light seasons one and two. So, uh, you know, could they not give us one for the horror season? Damn it. You know,
2: where's vinegar, vinegar syndrome at? Yeah. That's pick, a, pick it up. <laughs> you joke, but
1: maybe, you know, oh, yeah. throw that out to him. Um, there is Betsy, who you pointed out in the uh, the earlier version. She is a 10-year-old cancer survivor. She's kind of a tomboy. And I, I love it. Again, you, know, you, you have the idea of a character with OCD trying to escape a slasher. In Betsy, you have a cancer survivor who isn't afraid of dying. So I, I love the idea that uh, Solberg and Florsheim are taking these characters and they're sort of tweaking the archetypes and the tropes to be like, well, what would it be like? Let's let's look at different people and how they would react in a situation with the slasher. You know, what would a badass alpha male who's proud of himself look like? He's probably the guy who would be cocky and get his ass killed straight away. Uh, mm-hmm. The OCD guy, you know, would have trouble escaping by virtue of, like, trying to contend with uh, OCD. You know, we have a cancer survivor who, you know, doesn't give a shit about dying, so how is she going to react in that situation? Then, on top of all that, there's the character Berger, who is a hemophiliac who could die from a paper cut now having to run away from a masked slasher. Like that's a great idea. It's so
2: clever. All of these are just so good. So
1: we have so you mentioned Horace Meriwether. Let's go ahead and think Steve Shimmy or uh or 90s Robert England, I don't know. Uh <laughs> mm-hmm. who he and Jamie know one another. And um Jamie sort of believes that Meriwether's home is kind of her safe haven and from the treatment quote we also find out that horace and jamie share a symbiotic relationship he has paid jamie for meyer's artifacts in the past allowing her to live on the land we even find out horace was the one who oh. helped jamie and this is the major thing which i love i i don't know that i would buy it but i love the big swing We even find out Horace was the one who helped Jamie change her identity and find a decoy, although it resulted in the death of her doppelganger, actress J.C. Brandy. Yeah. Unquote. In a conversation between Jamie, Horace, and Betsy, the trio realize the connection Jamie has to all of the blood transfusion recipients and therefore understand why Michael is now targeting numerous potential victims. So we have jamie we have betsy at this point gus and Berger headed along to Merryweather's as well and they get killed so we're down to Merryweather, jamie and betsy and um unfortunately horace 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 bites it so you know that's very sad that Meriwether. uh you know i i, I would just feel sad if steve Bashimi got stabbed to death by michael myers i don't know why
2: me too
1: it just it, it makes me sad to think about
2: actually that's how ghost world ended
1: You know, I flashed The Sopranos the end of what season four when uh, Tony kills Steve Buscemi on his porch. It's like, oh, did did you have to do that?
2: Spoilers, God. Okay, it's 18 years old.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Meriwether is dead. The climax finds Jamie and Michael alone in the now deceased Meriwether's collection room, quote, where he stores every weapon from the Halloween movies, unquote.
2: yeah this is where it gets meta as fuck is this the first time it gets super meta no because he's obsessed with michael myers
1: yeah oh yeah we had we had already started tiptoeing toward there but then now with the climax jamie and michael myers are doing battle they're wielding every weapon they can get their hands on quote it turns into an all-out slasher fest between a badass jamie and michael as they go toe-to-toe this is what we've been waiting to see Jamie is obviously well trained, her whole life spent preparing for this moment. Unquote. Mm-hmm. The story at this point also brings back the uh, the connection, the telepathic connection between Jamie and Michael that we saw in Halloween 5, which allows the two of them to have kind of a sense of what their opponent is going to do. So not only are these two well trained killers in their own right, but they 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 can kind of anticipate what the other is going to do before it happens. So I, I think the idea of having that, like the attack and counterattack, mm-hmm. just be kind of wild, you know, between the two of them. I think that's so much fun. And, uh, but weirdly enough, Jamie is saved by Betsy, ultimately, who uses the heavy farm machinery that dispatched <laughs> Jamie's double in Halloween 6 to subdue Michael before Jamie ultimately finishes him with the first butcher's knife that Michael ever used. Cute. It's so much... I mean, it's just fun, you know? It's very fun. Uh, the treatment concludes, quote, The original butcher's knife that started it all will be the instrument that will dispatch Michael to his death. And Jamie and Betsy limp into the sunset. Unquote. End of treatment. End of Halloween bad blood.
2: Oh, it's so clever. And I can see how they were almost trying to pander a little bit to the Akhads, but they did it wrong. Well, yeah. <laughs> You know,
1: Mustafa Akkad said that he was all about following the Strode Myers bloodline story. Tell me they didn't do that.
2: Like they, they, oh, they did it. <laughs> they did it. And they did it brilliantly. It's, it's, it has like a Friday versus Jason energy. It, very fun. Very That's... like fast paced. It, to- it
1: here's the thing i don't think halloween bad blood and i'm not just talking about like like honestly i think daniel harris could still lead a a, a movie uh obviously as this you know kind of asking character and i wish you would mm-hmm. um but i just mean like i i don't think halloween bad blood could exist in 2021 2021 2022 2023 i just think that it, it you know we're we're It's not the time yet to be revisiting that. You know, we've gone through the seventies revival in the early aughts. We've gone through the eighties thing. You know, about five or six years ago. We're currently in the nineties, sort of reliving all of those movies and that level of style. You know, that we had back then.
2: Rob zombie movies took place in the seventies. Is that what you just said? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I just meant horror as a whole. Oh, Um,
1: I would have believed you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, like. I think Halloween Bad Blood would have lived very comfortably in 2000, 2001, 2002. Like that, it would have been perfectly cut for the time. Yeah. And I think audiences would have been very receptive to it. Now, I don't think it would be the right time for this kind of movie, but I would still enjoy the hell out of it.
2: You know how... Little bits and pieces from the cancelled films kind of make their way down the pipeline. Sort of like how in Halloween Kills you have the Haddonfield versus Michael. Oh, and totally. That ha- that's been kind of brewing for a really long time in the treatment world. I feel like the twist of having uh, Strode blood accidentally infused into a bunch of strangers, I feel like that plot point could make its way at some point. I can Not with see Danielle that. Harris probably, but like maybe with Jamie or whoever else I could see it making it. Cause it's just so fun. I agree. I agree. And apparently uh, at the end
1: of the treatment there were, and I don't think I wrote about this in phantom limbs, um, but there were two variations on the idea that, uh, that Stolberg and Floorsheim pitched one was going to be a Hong Kong set version with Jet Li as a character and with the heroine in a foreign land, not understanding the language. So kind of cool. It would have been like, you know, just the idea of removing, which in a way it kind of makes sense that like, if Jamie wanted to get away from Michael, hop go, a damn plane, you go know, to Hong
2: Kong. yeah, go exactly. so, go really far away. I wonder if that's a post the grudge decision.
1: Uh, w- uh, no no because it would have been 2000 so um, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I, I, I think it would have been pretty neat if uh, if they tried to do something like that with the franchise the other one though so there was another idea that they had pitched alongside it uh, it only existed as a paragraph it doesn't sound like it was really a variation on Bad Blood what it reads uh, it says so basically they had an idea to do a film that would have run parallel to the first two Halloween movies depicting Michael's escape from Smith's Grove, but it would have been like Halloween one and two, but from Michael's point of view. So Mm -hmm. we would follow him as he escapes from Smith's Grove, as he's stalking around Haddonfield, uh, you know, like his ride to Haddonfield, what was happening with him in the interim of those films. And then when those moments intersect with the movies that we know, we would get like alternate angles on certain scenes. So it would be like a really interesting way to retell those events, but from Michael's point of view, like following him instead. And I kinda love that idea too. I wish they had developed that more,
2: but Wow, it sounds like we'd finally figure out how he learned how to drive. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Well, we know because uh because the man in black, oh, Dr. Right. Wynn, clearly no, it was him.
2: Dr. Tumas from Halloween twenty eighteen. i call him dr oh god sartain sartain i I, I, you know how i feel right i think everyone knows how i feel it's it's my halloween resurrection no it's not i have to take that (laughs) out people get so mad at me
1: (laughs) but yeah unfortunately as cool as i personally think bad blood might have been and how neat i think it would have been at the time to have that movie uh, because come on, we we were leading up to Freddy versus Jason. It was after Bride of Chucky. Halloween, Bad Blood would have been seated perfectly between oh, those two.
2: I think perfectly. Give this to Ronnie. You oh wow. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I can. Actually, he, I, I, can't. I can. Yu, Ronnie. You. Ronnie. You would have directed
1: the hell out of it. Unfortunately, Mustafa Khan didn't much care for Bad Blood as it didn't quote follow the rules unquote either. Uh, plus Mr. Solberg admitted in our interview that he was a young writer who just hadn't written much in the way of horror at that point. Uh, as he said, and again, I'm quoting, he said, again, it was 20 years ago. It was before I'd ever written a horror movie. I just had no shot. There was no way they were going to hire the writer of Sabrina, the animated series to reinvent Halloween.
2: That's their loss, honey. But it yeah,
1: is because well. he wound up writing Alex Aja's Piranha 3D. He wrote Sorority Row, which is a fun slasher. He wrote Jigsaw. So he wrote Spy Spiral. Um, I believe he's still working on Nightbreed, uh the you know, the T V version of it. Um oh, interesting. There's a potential new Saw sequel. Um and he eventually worked on another potential um Halloween film, as we noted, called Halloween Asylum which mm. I think uh, Matt Vane had written a draft of it. And then Stolberg was brought in to sort of do a take on it. And so there is a Josh Stolberg pen Halloween Asylum, which sadly didn't get picked up. And so, I mean, the man has pitched on Halloween three times now. I, mm-hmm. I At some point in the future, I hope he gets to fully sort of see one through someday. You know, I think he deserves it.
2: I think so too. I will, I feel like it may not happen, but we'll have to see. I, Whatever I have my happens fingers crossed. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think this one is ever going to see the light of day, which is such a shame because I'm such a fan of um, the plot. It's so fun and so clever. But it definitely has that mid-2000s, early-2000s energy that because the canon got squashed by Buster Rhymes, you're not going to you're not going to see it. Um, I love that. That was so good, Jinx. This was like a really fun, like really fast paced episode, which definitely is in line with Halloween by blood. Yeah, I, I think it's a movie that would have just clicked by. Yeah, it absolutely would have. Um, all right, Jinx. So where can we find you on the Internet if you want to be found?
1: Uh, sure, people can find me, so I host a podcast called Scream Addicts, which is currently doing a side project, called Hammer Pub, where in co-hosts Allie Chapel and Paul Farrell and I have a drink or two, and we provide a running commentary for a Hammer Film. I believe, Josh, you were coming on soon for The Woman in Black, is that right? Yes. Hell yes. Good deal. Uh, so you can find me there, and Scream Addicts has its own Twitter account as well, uh, that is at Scream Addicts. Uh, You can also find me, my personal account, on Twitter. That is at Jinx1981. That is J-I-N-X-1981. And you can also find me on Instagram. It is (laughs) at Jinx740941. I am so sorry. Uh, That is JINX740941. It's too many damn numbers, and I apologize. But yes, that's uh, that's where you can find me. Otherwise, uh, you can check out my work at Bloody Disgusting. I have four different columns that I run, and uh, they are Phantom Limbs, Larval Ink, Mask of Insanity, and Blood Ink Staples, regarding, respectively, unmade horror sequels, early versions of films that changed wildly by the time they were released, uh, fun stories from actors and actresses who wore makeup or masks in horror movies, uh, playing villains—that is—and horror comic books. Josh, it is always a blast. I am happy to come back anytime.
2: Uh, yeah, it'll be sooner than later. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.
2: One, two, three, four.
0: Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers.
1: (laughs) AutoTrader.